you would please take your Bible and turn with me, please. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. To our musicians, to our choir, thank you. You encourage us, you bless us, you lead us in worship. Thank you very, very much. David, thank you. If you found John 3 in your Bible, I want you to, I want to ask you to follow along with me. I want to read the first nine verses. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. You may remain seated as we read the word of God. There's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him, that is Jesus, by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, ye must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Would you join me, please, in a word of prayer? Our Father, may God the Spirit the Holy Spirit be our teacher and give to our hearts and our minds illumination through these verses that are so familiar with most who are in this room. May the Spirit of God touch our hearts with the truth. And may the Spirit of God speak to someone who is not yet but on the way to becoming a Christian. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Pardon me. The Bible contains some of the most strategic and important questions ever raised. Consider just a few of them. If a man dies, shall he live again? How can a man be just? Before God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What shall I do with Jesus? What must I do to be saved? What if I gain the whole world and lose my soul? Where art thou? What is truth? Perhaps there's no question certainly no series of questions of any more significance than those raised by Nicodemus. In chapter 3, this extremely religious 
and highly influential man put three penetrating questions to the Lord. Again, keep your Bible open. The first question is implicit. Chapter 3, verse 1, we've already read in your hearing. Verse 2, a man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. No one can do these things that you do, these signs that you do, unless God be with him. Now, personally, I think, and this is just Pastor Ross, I think Nicodemus took a breath right there. No man can do these signs that you do unless God be with him. And I think he just caught his breath and intended to go on. And I think perhaps he was to ask the question, how can we enter the kingdom of God? Now, the reason I think that is because if you look at how the next verse opens, the question's implicit. Nicodemus didn't get to raise the question. He didn't ask the question. He didn't verbalize the question. But verse 3 says, Jesus answered. But there's no question raised that was verbal. So I think I take it that the question uh, was implicit. Now, the next two questions that Nicodemus raises are explicit. The second question is found in verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? And then that same question in different words is raised again at the end of that verse. So his second question, how can a man be born when he's old? Third question is down in verse 9. If you look down there, how can these things be? How can these things be? What I want to do this morning is to consider Nicodemus' second question. How can a man be born when he's old? In other words, how can a man be born again? Nicodemus had learned through the preceding context that one birth was not enough. The first birth fits the individual only for physical life, only for mortal life. And unfortunately, with the first birth comes the same disease that our parents had, and that is the disease of sin. The cure for the disease requires second birth. To be fitted for the kingdom of God, man must be born again from above. Someone I thought uh, pretty, pretty well. To be born once is to die twice. And the reference, of course, is to have physical birth. You will have physical death, but you will also, if you're only born once, you're going to have a second death, which is a spiritual death. And then he went on and said, To be born twice, to have physical birth, spiritual birth, is to die but once. That is physical death. And then he went on and said, and maybe not at all, if Jesus comes. But what did Jesus mean when he spoke about being born again? Have you ever really thought about it? We've heard evangelistic messages after evangelistic messages and wonderful evangelistic messages. But what did Jesus mean when he said you have to be born again? What is it to have second birth? What is it to be born from above? Well, I have a study Bible, and I know many of you have a study Bible. And I just took the definition of being born again from the notes 
that are in the study Bible that I'm using. And it says, being born again is an act of God, which gives eternal life to one who believes in Jesus. An act of God, which gives eternal life to one who believes in Jesus. Now, let me take that apart just a little bit. It is an act of God. Man can't do that. Being born again is an act of God. It is instantaneous. It is not a process. It communicates eternal life, life from above, to the one who believes in Jesus Christ. Now, here's where the rub comes with a lot of people. From that definition, and I think it is an accurate, good definition of being born again. From our definition, then, it is clear that man is passive. And this is where rub comes to a lot of people. Man is passive. That is, man does nothing prior to his, being, his or her being given new life. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We need to get a hold of that. I think that's a, a, a truth that is out of vogue today. It's passe. People don't like to talk about that. People don't like to hear about it, and people certainly don't like to believe it. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Later on in that same chapter, Paul uses the term quickened. That is made alive, made alive. It is clear from those verses of Scripture that the Apostle Paul considered men to be dead so far as spiritual life was concerned. And if men are dead then certainly they are passive in this matter of being born again. One old theologian, and I don't know that you would ever run across him, but his name is William G.T. Shedd, made the remark, a dead man cannot assist in his own resurrection. And I like that. It's simple, it's plain, and it's true. Dead men cannot assist in their own resurrection. Now, I'm aware of folks who say that it is necessary for man to receive truth before he's born of God. Are you with me? There are those who say man must receive truth before he is born of God. But that can't be. Again, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Natural men, men having only one birth, cannot receive the things of God. Again, go back to, to the quote a while ago. Can a dead man assist in his own resurrection? No. No. Therefore, there must be a work of God which precedes the reception of truth. There must be a transformation of the individual. He must be born of God, and then having divine life, he has the capacity to respond to the truth of God, and he will inevitably respond. He will show his life by the faith that he manifests in the message that he hears. 
He will show his life by the faith that he responds to and sees and holds, believes. He will show his life by the faith with which he manifests in that message that comes to him. Now, chronologically, both these things, that is receiving new life and showing that life occur in the same context. But biblically and logically, impartation of life is first, unless we are going to come to the position that we say dead men can't assist in their own resurrection. Being born again is an act of God which instantaneously imparts eternal life to the one who believes in Jesus Christ. Well, that leads me to a question. Why is it necessary to be born again? Why is it necessary to be born again? Answer, because God is holy and sinful men cannot abide in his presence. We are not ready for heaven. The Bible says, and we've read it, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Men must be transformed. Well, that leads to another question. How are men born again? How does this transformation come about? How are we transformed? And that's Nicodemus' question in chapter 3, verse 4. How can a man be born again when he's old? Ultimately, of course, we cannot explain that fully. There's always a skeptic with a question, how? And then when we try to answer, we can't fully answer the question. So our hope, our words from the Word of God, our gospel is denigrated. But you know what? That we cannot explain fully how this comes about is not as strange as it may seem. After all, obstetricians, if they are candid, will tell you that they cannot explain everything about physical birth. Sure, the mechanics, if I can put it that way, can be explained. But physical life is more than mechanics. Physical life is a miracle. So to look at the second birth and say, because you can't explain it, it, doesn't, it, it takes away from it. That really isn't true. That really isn't true. And learned man that he was, still Nicodemus didn't understand, and so he asked the question in verse 4, how? Now, there are a number of Bible teachers who criticize Nicodemus because of his question. They see in Nicodemus' question a tone of anger. What do you mean that can't be? Others at this point make Nicodemus out to be an imbecile for asking the question at all. But I remind all of us again, Nicodemus was an educated man. He certainly wasn't an imbecile. And frankly, I don't see any anger in his question. Do you? I think I see a touch of frustration. A man can't enter into his mother's womb a second time be born again. Can he? 
wistful resignation. Yes, I'd like to be born again, but I'm just too old. You ever thought about it? Nicodemus was perhaps twice the age of Jesus. And the question that he asked expected a negative answer. We know that by the language in which the New Testament is written. He can't do that, can he? A man can't do that, can he? Nicodemus expected the answer, no. That's clear from the language. He expected an answer. He can't do that, can he? No, was his expected answer. And then he had, I'm too old. I'm too old. I wonder how many people there are who feel that because the years have passed on them and they are older, that they can't enter the kingdom of God. I think, I happen to think that Nicodemus was the first in a long train of people who thought over the years they're too old to do whatever is necessary to get to heaven. Listen to me, friends. There's no age limit on salvation. There's no age limit on salvation. That's what makes it so marvelous. Not only isn't it salvation by works, neither is it salvation according to age. The one who acknowledges faith in Jesus can be 80 or 90 or 5 or 6. Age is not a barrier to coming to faith and believing in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus was older. I said a moment ago, I think probably twice the age of Jesus at the time of this interview. But listen to me. Nicodemus wasn't set in his ways. He wasn't so stubborn that he refused to learn anything new. And hear me well. I don't mean this unkindly. It's just a fact. When we get older, we become more and more set in our ways and less and less agile of mind to accept something that is new. Nicodemus didn't do that. Nicodemus didn't do that. I admire this man greatly. Nicodemus was born again. We are assured of that by the rest of the Gospel of John. He refused to let pride or position or years of age, he refused to let those things keep him from learning something from Jesus, although Jesus was only half of his age. And again, I say, to me, this is just something that I think I see more and more. You see a college student talking to somebody that's 80 years old. Most, well, let me put it this way. Altogether, too often, the college student is poo-pooed. Young man, you don't know diddly. You wait till you live as many years as I have. And that's the type of response that is so often given. Nicodemus didn't do that. Nicodemus didn't do that. No pride of position or years of age kept him from having his spiritual needs met by Jesus, who was half of his age. Well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. Nicodemus was confused, but Jesus was so gracious to him. Jesus gives him two illustrations. The first one has to do with physical birth, and that's in verses 5 and 6, and especially verse 6. The second one has to do with the wind, and that's down in verse 8. Read with me again. Let me read in your hearing verses 5 and 6. 
Jesus answered, truly, truly, or verily, verily. Let me just interrupt myself right there. These words are so familiar that sometimes we just pass over them and think that's just pro forma. That's just something that Jesus said. But these words were unique. There's no other reference in ancient times of anyone else prefacing their remarks with these words. I believe this was our Lord's way of suggesting the authority that was behind his words. Truly, truly. And then he goes on, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, hang with me, okay? I know that there are, the, the interpretations of that verse, those two words, uh, are legion. Water, spirit. Some have understood this and are very adamant that this refers to the waters of baptism. So unless one undergoes water baptism, he cannot be born again. But there are a number of things which mitigate against that position against that being true, three things in particular. First, baptism is something that we do. So if baptism saves, then baptism is a work. It's something that man does. And we know the New Testament teaches us that we are not saved by works. So that, if it didn't go any further, that rules out this interpretation of water and spirit being water baptism. But there's a second thing. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? If you could just get baptized, you could go to paradise with me. No. Jesus simply said to the thief on the cross, no baptism in view. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So if you have to be baptized in order to be saved, how did the thief on the cross ever get to paradise with Jesus? Couldn't. And then too, the words that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus were spoken before Christian baptism was instituted. How could these words refer to something not yet instituted? I, therefore, for these reasons and, and others, I don't think this has one whit to do with water baptism. There's a second interpretation, and this one's a little more likely than the first. These words may be taken to... Refer to physical birth, water, referring to the water of the womb. According to this interpretation, Jesus was simply saying that a person could enter the kingdom of God. For that to take place, he must be born physically. Now, does that make a lot of sense to you? Certainly, it wouldn't have made much sense to, to uh, Nicodemus, an educated, learned man, a teacher. Wouldn't have made any sense to him. But it is a possible interpretation. The drawback I see is, as I have indicated, it's just too elementary. Nicodemus didn't need that at all. So, again, I raise the question, what does this born of water and spirit mean then? I understand it to mean the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. The internal cleansing by God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, unless one is born through the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit of God within, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
And let me give you a couple of reasons why I believe that. <clears throat> First of all, that's surely, I believe, what Nicodemus would have thought. You see, the Pharisees had a lengthy ritual of cleansing by water. And when you mention the water, I think that was the, would have been the very first thing that Nicodemus would have had in his mind. He would have understood this as a reference to cleansing. Second reason is a linguistic reason. This can be rendered without violating anything at all. Water, even the spirit. Water, even the spirit. And so they are connected in the text. And then third, if you would just compare this and make a note of it, if you're interested, compare it to Titus 3.5. Washing of the water by the word. And, and then it goes on uh, describing the work of God the Holy Spirit. So let's back up. What was Jesus telling Nicodemus in John 3.5? Again, Nicodemus was confused. He thought this was something complicated. Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, this really isn't complicated at all. There must be that inner cleansing that God does through his spirit, and that fits a person for entrance into the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus then questions, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now, to that question, Jesus gives him two illustrations. The first one has to do with the cleansing by the Holy Spirit. The second one is, uh, has to do with the wind. And we've looked at the first one. If you'll look at verses 6 through 8, verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel, I say unto you, you must be born again. Now notice, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What was Jesus saying to Nicodemus? Several things. The wind blows where it wishes. That is, in a sense, it's sovereign. The blowing of the wind represents independent activity. And then when the wind blows... There will always be a result. Jesus says the work of the Holy Spirit is like that. He works sovereignly. He works independently. And when he moves in an individual's heart, there will be results. No, we can't explain it. All that said, when God moves in the heart, of a man or a woman, he does so as it pleases him. And when he moves, there will be results. He does bring about new birth. Daniel Whittle has left us a legacy of a number of hymns. David had us sing one just a few months ago. And I think he has a stanza in the hymn that we were singing it's exactly what I'm talking about. We sang the words. Daniel Whittle wrote them. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin. Revealing Jesus through the Word and creating faith in them.
but I know whom I have believed. Will says, I don't know some of these things, but I do know the one that I have believed. What's he saying? Very clearly, I don't know how to explain the beginning of it. You can go back and look in your hymn book at the words. I don't know how to explain the beginning of this. I don't know how to explain the work of it, Whittle says. All I can tell you is the result. I know whom I have believed. Why the Holy Spirit of God would move in one person's heart and not the person right beside of them, I cannot explain. But in his plan, he creates faith in men and women. This passage teaches the absolute necessity of a new birth. You must be born again. All human prescriptions for the new birth are ruled out. Prescriptions such as baptism, good works, observance of the ordinances, joining a cult, joining a church, culture. There is no cure for sin in these or any other prescriptions. Man cannot be born again of his own efforts. We had nothing to do with our first birth, and we can have nothing to do with our second birth. It is something that God does. Yet the Bible says you must be born again. I don't know where you are today in your spiritual life. Dear people, this is church. I believe part of the responsibility of the pulpit of every church ought to be simply to ask the question of people who are in front of the minister. The question is, have you been born again? Can't explain exactly how it happened. Very little that we can explain about it. We know that God creates faith in women and men. God speaks to the hearts of people when they hear the word of God or when they read the word of God. I have a friend of mine who loved to expand that list. Met him in seminary. He said, if you're going to start giving a list and, and talk about the Bible, he says, you need to, need to mention some other books too. He said, I came to faith in Jesus Christ reading John Calvin's Institutes. Well, uh, not many people that I know of just voluntarily read John Calvin's Institutes. I mean, that's weighty reading. But that's how he came to trust Christ. God used that in his heart, and he trusted Jesus. My question to you this morning is, are you born again? Have you been born again? Too young? Uh-uh. Too old? No. No. What's keeping you from trusting Jesus? Pride? You don't want to step out of the Nile? You don't want people to see you do this? Is it pride? That's what pride's all about, isn't it? I just want people to see me do this. You afraid you're going to have to give up a bunch of stuff? Oh, dear friend, anything you give up, you will, you will receive like Job and more. When you come to faith in Christ, you don't lose anything. You gain because God in his grace is giving. Sure, you'll change some habits, but you need to anyway. Have you been born again? I won't drive it home. If you've never trusted Christ, you have an opportunity to do so now. Lord, say words to the effect, Lord, 
Thank you for dying for me. I know that I'm a sinner. And right now, I'm trusting you to be my personal Savior. Have you done that? I don't always drive this home the length of time I have been talking about it this morning. I just felt the need to. Somebody here today, now, may need to trust Jesus as Savior. Will you do that now? Is God speaking to your heart? You're listening to Him? May well be someone within the sound of my voice has trusted Christ in these moments. May I say two things? One, if you haven't, but you want to know more about it, I'll meet you right here. And I, one of our deacons, will take the word of God and show you why you need to be a Christian and how you become one. And if you have trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, you know, the Apostle Paul in Romans 10 has a lot to say about public confession of faith. Would you do that this morning? Would you publicly, if you've trusted Christ in these moments, would you publicly confess your faith in him? I'll meet you here. We're going to sing a hymn, give you an opportunity to do these things. 342, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. 342. Let's pray together before we sing. Lord, it may well be that someone is listening to the Spirit's wooing in their heart just now. Give to them courage, give to them faith to do what you are bidding them to do. We'll give you the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear friends, invitation to church closing. Our service is just about over. But if God's speaking to your heart, he still listens when you get out to the church steps, when you get in your car, when you get home. May I put it this way? It's rather crass. God's office never closes. 24-7. If God's speaking to your heart, you do business with Him when you leave. God bless you. God speak to you. God draws all closer to Him. That's the need of the church today. Looking around, I think Craig Deal's our deacon. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> Craig Deal's our deacon today. He comes to dismiss us, and then we'll sing, God be with you till we meet again. I love to ask you to think about somebody that you know, somebody in particular, when you sing those words. God be with you until we meet again. And remember that we may not meet again here because he's coming back. I believe that. And if you don't, I don't know how to put it, you're hopeless. You don't have that hope of Jesus coming again. I mean, hopeless in that sense, okay? The New Testament tells us that he is. If Jesus ever told the truth, he told the truth when he said, I will come again.
I don't know when that's going to be. It could be before it's through. So God be with you. Till we meet again. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ, and him alone through his death, burial, and resurrection. We believe, Father, but help our unbelief. Keep us mindful that it is only by your conviction of our hearts through the Holy Spirit that we are brought to our knees and only by the atonement of Christ that we are freed from sin and death. Keep us humble, Father, we pray, always seeking your righteousness. Father, we remember today our mission of the week, the Bible Broadcasting Network and their um, radio broadcasts and programming of Christian programming and encouragement. We also, Father, lift prayers to you for all those who are in need. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. To God be the glory. Amen.